Christmas season is upon us, the year is coming to the end. You know, the, as the year comes to the end, there's some things that I reflect on and think about. I'm sure you guys do too. And is what has the year been like for me, right? What can be better? What could have been better? And I think in this room, there's two types of people. People who make New Year's resolutions and people who don't. <laughs> I don't know which side of the spectrum you're on, but I make New Year's resolution because my year usually didn't go as I planned, and I want it to be a better year. So my New Year's resolutions, what I typically do, well, what I always do, is I make a New Year's resolution to exercise or to exercise more. I mean, I try. I really, really, where's Terry? I really, 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 really do. I try. And so I can remember as far as back being young with my mom, putting in that VHS tape and working out to Richard Simmons, sweating to the oldies. Come on now, get your knees up, right? And then after that, we did Buns of Steel. And then Paula Abdul's Get Up and Dance. And then Jazzercise. We've done it all. Well, this one year, a couple years ago, <laughs> um, I went to Planet Fitness. They had this great special going on, so I wanted to be a part of a gym, and I went to Planet Fitness and, and joined the gym. I wanted to do this with a whole bunch of other people with me, and they had these nice, big, shiny machines that I loved. They just drew me in. The problem was I didn't know how to use them, <laughs> and I didn't want anybody to know that I didn't know how to use them. So I asked my son, Nate, to go with me. <laughs> and I said, can you show me how to use these machines? He said, absolutely. So we go this one time, and we start on the treadmill. That's the one machine that I knew was the treadmill. And so we start on the treadmill. That was pretty easy. So he takes me step by step, each machine that's in there, and we're going through, and he's showing me, and, you know, and he's, you need to do this, you need to do that. We're having a great workout. Well, towards the end of the workout, we come to this one machine, and it's this big, tall machine up against the wall, and it has, like, these handlebars that come out, and it has this thing that kind of comes perpendicular it looks kind of like a seat you know and my son Nate said mom this is what you need to do you need to <laughs> sit on the seat facing outwards and pull yourself up and down well you know this is my son who loves me right so I'm thinking I'm trusting him I said, okay I can do this so I get on the seat and facing outwards to the gym and I'm pulling myself up and down and I'm thinking this is pretty easy and I'm thinking, this is looking a bit ridiculous. And I begin to look around, and I'm noticing everybody in the gym is looking at me and beginning to laugh. I look over at my son, and he's trying his hardest not to laugh at me. He got me because that was not the way to use the machine. How many of you guys have been in a situation you didn't want to be in? <laughs> no matter how hard you planned, it didn't go the way you planned. So today I'm going to talk about the birth of Jesus and the events that led up to the birth of Jesus. And then Luke, Luke describes the birth of Jesus and how it came to be that Mary was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And he says in Luke 2, verse 6 and 7, that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And it says while they were there. We're going to talk about where there is here in a moment. But there came a time for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. So let's talk about there, because I know some of you have some there moments going on in your life. You may not know it yet, but you really do. Like in our lives, we can find ourselves going in a place that we really didn't want to go to, 
stuck in a place that we can't seem to find a way to get out of it. In these moments in our lives, we can feel overwhelmed, knocked off our feet. And I think there are three reasons why we can find ourselves in a there moment. The first reason is, is we just make some bad choices sometimes. We just make those bad choices. One time when I, well not one, when I was a teenager, I had a bad habit of sneaking out on the weekends. And I had a, <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Teenagers, you're not supposed to do this. <laughs> so I had a bad habit of sneaking out. Me and my best friend Charlie would go and we'd sneak out on the weekends and hang out with our friends. We did this a lot. Well, this one time we snuck out, had a lot of fun. Well, my best friend wrote it in her diary. And so Monday morning came around, and my best friend's mom, it was her carpool time, and she came to pick me up. Well, when I got in the car, I noticed that the car was very quiet. It was really strange. And I get in the car, and her mom turns around to me and says, I know what you did this weekend, and I'm calling your parents and telling them what you did. Well, I'm freaking out, okay, because my parents did not know, need to know what happened on the weekend, right? So... I, all day long, I'm freaking out. I'm worried about what's going on. Well, my best friend tells me her mom's already grounded her for two weeks because of what happened. And my best friend's grounding was really nothing. It was, you know, you got grounded. You pretty much are just in the doghouse, but you can just do what you want to do still kind of, right? So I get home from school. My mom's sitting there waiting for me. I knew the talk that was going to happen. And so she comes to me and she says, Stephanie, Charlie's mom called me and told me everything that happened this weekend. And I'm thinking, great, here's the end of my life. And she says, what do you think we need to do? I was like, well, I don't know. She says, what do you think your punishment should be? Now, my best friend just told me that she got grounded for two weeks, which I've never been grounded before because I had older brothers. They got in a whole lot more trouble than I did. And this is the first time for me to be grounded. So I thought, what could hurt? So I said, I'm going to be grounded for two weeks. And she said, all right, that sounds good. Well, little did I know, my grounding and my best friend's grounding was completely different. Whereas my best friend's grounding, she still had a life. She was still able to do some things. My grounding meant no radio, no TV, no phone. No, I had to quit the softball team. I couldn't do anything other than clean the house or read a book. And so for two weeks, I was miserable because of a choice that I made. Sometimes we make bad choices. And we can find ourselves stuck going down a road we didn't plan on going. And stuck in a place we're not sure how to get out of. But sometimes it's the choices of other people. Like it was their fault. We didn't want the divorce. We didn't want to be laid off. We didn't want to be hurt by that friend. It was just done to us. It was their choice. And sometimes we find ourselves um, as the third reason is life just happens. How many of you know life just happens? We get the call from the doctor's office of the medical report that came in, and life just happens. Or a business deal didn't go through. It wasn't someone else's fault. It wasn't your fault. Life just happens. And when life happens, sometimes you find yourselves going down a road you didn't want to go and stuck in a place we're not sure how to get out of. And we find ourselves in a, in a place where we didn't expect to be. Has anybody in here said, I didn't expect to be here in this moment in my life. I didn't expect my marriage to look like this. I didn't expect my job situation to look like this. I certainly didn't expect my finances to look like this. 
I didn't expect my kids to be like this. How many of you guys have said, I sure didn't expect to be here? And I think this feeling, the feeling of, I sure didn't expect this, is a picture of the Christmas story. And you may think, what in the world? But I believe it's where Mary and Joseph were. As we read the, uh, about the birth story, and we just got through reading while they were there, we see the Christmas story like this nativity center. We see the wise men and the shepherds. We see Mary and Joseph and the animals, the sweet little baby Jesus. Everything looks so peaceful. doesn't look like anything was wrong. But while they were there, there was a lot of things that were wrong. So where were they? Where, geographically, they were in Bethlehem. But what got them there? Because what got them there was a whole different story. See, we have to reverse a little bit because Luke tells us that while they were there, that a time came for her to give birth to her firstborn son. And it was awesome. But what got them to Bethlehem was a whole different story. See, nine months earlier, an angel came and visited Mary. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting would this be. Like, right? <laughs> Can you imagine a teenage girl? Mary was actually about 13 or 14. I don't know about you, but my son just turned 14, and he's into memes and video games. <laughs> so here's Mary. She's engaged to be married, and, Mary's, and the angel says to Mary, you are highly favored. So what is going to come next? I can, can you imagine how scared she was? If that was me and an, something came to me in the middle of the night and woke me up and said, Stephanie, I would freak out. I don't know what happens in my brain, but whenever I get really, really, really scared, my, something in my brain shuts down and I freeze. I totally freeze because I think if I freeze, that means you can't see me, and if you can't see me, you can't hurt me. I don't know why I do that, but that's just what happens to me. But if an angel came to me, I think it would be something a little different because I'm picturing a beautiful angel, you know, maybe a chorus behind the angel singing, bright, beautiful lights, and the angel comes and visits Mary and says, you are highly favored. So I bet I would probably be thinking, yes, what am I winning? Is that the Powerball? But then the angel tells Mary, you are highly favored of God. So something good has got to happen, right? Like I'm thinking you're getting a promotion, you're getting a raise. Mary, you're getting a new donkey. <laughs> you are highly favored. And in this situation, the angel tells her, not only are you highly favored, but you're going to have a child, and it's going to be a child of God. So let's think about this. She's a teenager who's engaged to be married. She's not yet married. And now the angel says that she's highly favored and she's going to become pregnant unexpectedly. Wait a minute. How is this going to be good news? A teenage girl, a Jewish teenage girl at that. And the angel even had to tell her, don't be afraid. Can you imagine the fear she must have felt? The embarrassment. Mary lived in a town and it was a population of about two to 300 people. So you talk about people being in your business. You think you have people in your business now? Live in a town of about two to 300 people. Everybody in your business. <laughs> so talk about the embarrassment. 
Talk about the shame she must have felt. I mean, what is her family going to say? What about her friends that's going to disown her? What about the Jewish leaders? So talk about the embarrassment and the shame. And then she has to go to Joseph, and she has to tell and convince Joseph of this. Can you imagine the conversation? I'm sure it went something like this. Hey, Joe, what's you doing? Right? She has to convince Joseph of two things. First of all, that an angel came and saw her. That did not happen, okay? So not only did the angel come, but the angel came to tell her that she was going to be pregnant and, be, and have God's child. I can imagine Joseph. What was he thinking? I can imagine he's thinking, uh-uh, no way. Tell me who he is, right? Like a Jerry Springer special. Who's the baby daddy? And Matthew tells us that Joseph had it in his heart to divorce her and put her away. He loved her, but he didn't want to embarrass her. And the reason he had to do a divorce was because they were in a culture where when you break off the engagement, you couldn't just break it off and pawn off the engagement ring. You had to give a certificate of divorce. So he had it in his heart to divorce her. Plus, if he kept her, people would think he's the one who made her this away. And he just couldn't believe that what he was hearing and what she was telling him was true. So God was like, Joseph, wait a minute, you're about to blow this thing. So God sends down another angel to Joseph. And and the angel talks to Joseph and says that the baby Mary is carrying is from the Lord and is going to be the Savior. But I have to consider as I read the story, can you imagine Joseph trying to think how in the world could this be? I mean, even after the angel came, there still has to be this doubt in his mind that this is true, or even how is this going to play out? Also, the trust that is strained in this relationship. Because remember, Joseph didn't believe Mary when she told him. From Mary's perspective, here is the guy that she loves very deeply and has committed her life to. And God does this thing outside of her control, and Joseph doesn't even believe her. Then on top of that, King Herod decides to come and tax everybody, which means the IRS is coming and demanding that you pay money that you don't have. Plus all the pregnant hormones. I don't know if anything, if this happens to anybody in here, but I'm sure in your own life, you wake up in the morning and you roll over and you say, good morning, sweetie. How's my honey bunches? You have no issues going on in your marriage. Your finances are all in order. Your life is a wonderland of blessings, right? But I'm just saying for Mary and Joseph that they're in a mess. You've got it all in one story. You have relationship issues, possible scandal, financial woes, family turmoil, emotional distress, and Luke says that while they were there. It's a beautiful, interesting road that got them there. And I would dare say that all of us have had those there situations in our lives. I think every single one of us have had some things in our life that have happened that we didn't plan And I love the Christmas story because it's God saying that in the middle of your there moment, that God came down. In the middle of mess, God came down. I think sometimes we think that I've got to get my life right, that God doesn't want me the way I am. I've got to change before I can even come to God. And I want to say the whole point of the Christmas story is God comes where you're at and meets you in your mess. So God came down. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, 
The world means the world. That he sent his one and only son, that whoever, that is anyone, if anyone believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not just for the ones who have it all put together. Let me tell you a secret. No one has it all put together. He shows up in the middle of mess, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of confusion and fear and doubt. That's where he showed up, and he will continue to show up for you. See, God could have chosen to be, have Jesus born to some wealthy family, to a prestigious family in a big castle where everything was comfortable. But he chose to have Jesus born to ordinary Mary and Joseph with ordinary issues in the middle of messy, stinky doo-doo. <laughs> so what is it that you need? Do you know when God came, he came clothed all in humanity. He was all God and all man. So he could walk where we walked. He can experience what you experience. He feels what you have felt. So God would not be above us, but so God can look at us eye to eye. So God came to us. He comes to where you are, and he's saying, what is that need that you have? He sees you, and he's come to you eye to eye. He meets you where you are. He meets every need that you have. After all, what would be the point of him coming down if there wasn't a need? What would be the point if there wasn't people in this room who desperately need a touch from a Savior? What would be the point unless there were people in this room that are dealing with insecurity and fear? What would be the point unless there were people in this room praying and crying out for direction and guidance and protection? What would be the point unless they were lost people alone in the pit of darkness? He chose Jesus to be born in the middle of a mess to ordinary people. And God is saying that to us today that no matter what you came in here today, no matter what mess you're carrying around, no matter the brokenness in your life or the hurt or where life has taken you, that you didn't want to go and you can't find a way out of, that he shows up in that place for you. And he's saying that while they were there, I love that word while because it didn't say after everything was fixed. It says while. And some of us, we pray and we ask God to get us out of this circumstance, right? Lord, if you could just take me out of this, if you could just remove this issue in my life. And I want to say sometimes God does his best work in the middle of the circumstance. That we're saying, God, deliver me from it. But the best stuff we learn and some of the best growth that happens in our life is when we go through the tough times, is it not? I know in my life, I don't grow best in comfort. I grow best in discomfort. That often the thing that God wants to grow in me is found in those uncomfortable places in my life. And I want to say right now, if you find yourself in one of those situ situations, if you find yourself in a place where you don't know how to get out of, that God is saying that you are a prime candidate for God to do something amazing in your life. It says that while they were there, a time came for her to give birth. And what this is saying is there are several prophecies spoken many hundreds of years prior to this that his promise a time would come, a Savior would be here. And here it is. That what God promised is here. The time is here. But it was in his timing, not in their timing. 
Has anyone in here wished that God would listen to us when it came to our timing, right? Like, God, could you just do this now? Will you make this happen now? Lord, I really need this right now. God is outside of time. He sees the beginning to the end. He sees the day you were born to the day that you die all in the same moment. So it's not about in our time. See, God's promises are not about if it will happen. It's about when they will happen, when he will do it. When, God, will your time come? Because it's difficult to be in the middle of where you are and where you want to be. It's called in the meantime. And I feel like I need to encourage someone here today that if you're finding yourself in this meantime place, that God is not silent. He is building something in you and that you may not see. And I just want to say that your faith is getting bigger. Your faith is growing. You are making headway. You may not be where you want to be, but you're certainly not where you used to be. God is doing something in the middle of your life, even if you don't see it. God sees it, and he's working something in your life for good. And I want to encourage you that when it looks like it's all falling apart, God's saying, no, it's falling all into place. God knows, and God is big enough to handle it. He's big enough to do it. Matthew says in the New Testament that he treats the earth as his footstool. So he's a big God. Can you imagine the earth is, God, is the Ottoman for God? Isaiah said that, says that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts and his ways are much bigger and higher than ours. So God is a big God. The same God that is so big and is inexpansive is the same God that came in a manger in the middle of messiness lived a life that you lived, felt what you felt, experienced what you experienced, and came to give his life so that you can have an abundant life. And it says that while they were there, there came a time for her to give birth to her firstborn son. And I still can't wrap my mind around the tension that Mary must have lived in. I mean, she carried her baby for nine months. And there is a connection between a mother and her baby. As a mom, there's this unspoken bond. We would give our lives for our children. And can you imagine, not only did Mary have this connection, but in one hand, she's holding a baby that would grow up to be a man. But on the other hand, she's holding this baby that is the savior of the world. And not only the savior, her savior that she had been praying for. I can't wrap my mind around the tension of those emotions. The Bible says that she did all these things in her heart. But one thing I do know for sure is that Jesus was forever the central figure of Mary and Joseph's life. I'm not talking about an unhealthy central figure between a child and and their parents. I'm talking about the Son of God, the Savior who came and was the central figure of their lives. You know, several years ago, we, uh, I had this nativity, this very same nativity, and um, I had it all set up. And, you know, when you, you set up the nativity, it's all perfect. It's like adults playing with dolls. You know, you put them everywhere. So, but we came home one night, and, you know, I had this all set up, and we came home from looking at Christmas lights. And Nathan was about six years old, and we came in, and I noticed it looked like the dog had bumped into the, the, the nativity, and everything was messed up. And I was sitting there going, 
wait a minute, I had this all set up. This is not right. And I said out loud, who in the world messed with the nativity? It's all messed up. And my son Nathan came over and he said, no, Mom, I did it like that because everybody needed to face Jesus. You know, in his little mind, he was right. He knew that the central figure of the Christmas story is all about Jesus. So my question to you is, who's the central figure of your story? Because I think for many of us, we want Jesus somewhere in this story, maybe in the peripheral. So we come to church. We may even read our Bible. We want Jesus in our story. We're just not sure we want him as the central part of our story. We kind of know that he should be central, but we're like, ah, oh, Jesus, can you just be in my story? I know this happens because when we're hurt deeply and God says you need to forgive them, we're like, oh, no, God, I can't do that. It hurts too much. Or when there's family turmoil and Jesus tells, a, tells us you need to love them anyway, and we're like, oh, no, Jesus, you don't understand what they did. Or we come to God and we're like, God, I'm ready for you. Use me. And we get plugged into serving, and six months later we're saying, God, I'm being used too much. Some of us want to put success in there. Success is the central figure. Success is what we put our faith and trust in or, or maybe accomplishments. And I just want to say to you that is, if that is where your faith lies, that when life takes you to a place you didn't want to go and you find yourself stuck in a place that you don't know how to get out of, success will leave you frustrated and disappointed. Or maybe we put wealth as the central figure of our life. If we could just do a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Again, there's nothing wrong with accumulating wealth. The Bible says it's God who gives the ability to gain wealth and he does it for your enjo enjoyment and for you to do, to do good with. But man, if that is the central figure of your story, if that is where your trust and your hope lies, you're going to face some things in life that money can't get you out of. Money can't buy you peace. It can't promise hope. Money can't mend your marriage. Money can't set you free from insecurities. But some of us, we put ourselves as the central figure of our lives. It's all about us. What makes me happy? It's all about what I want to do. That's what's important. But you're going to face some things in life. You're going to have some there moments that if you're the there, if you're the central figure in your life, you're going to be, find yourself anxious and fearful. See, Jesus came not just to be a part of your story, but he came to be the central part of your story. I mean, after all, you're the central part of his story. I want to read that verse again in John 3.16 out of the Amplified Version. It says, For God so greatly loved and deeply prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever believes in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. God so greatly loved you that he came down. So maybe this Christmas season you're going to decide to not just make Jesus a part of your story, but to make him the center of your story. So when you're in a mess, when there's a storm, when things are going that are not just quite as planned, when you find yourself in a place you didn't want to go and stuck in a place you can't find a way out of, that you look to Jesus. What if instead of looking at our problem as a center 
and seeing Jesus in the peripheral? What if we were already focused on Jesus in the center and our problem in the peripheral? What is it that you're seeing today that is so big? Is it stress, marriage issues, financial instability, job transfers, depression, anxiety, loneliness, losing a friendship? What is it that is so big to you? Maybe you're even in the middle of your miracle and there you still have some things that you have to overcome. In all of these things, you're either going to have a miracle memory or a victim mentality. And I want to say that again so it sinks in. No matter what mess you're going through, you're either going to have a miracle memory because God has done some miracles in your life or you're going to have a victim mentality. Because the fact is, you're going to go through some storms. And the way you see your storm will greatly influence your outcome. Some of you think, God has given up on you. Labor Day this past year, Ronnie, Jordan, and I, we went on a trip. And part of our trip was river rafting. And um, part, if you've been river rafting, part of the things that the guides do is they tell you, before you do anything, first of all, you have to sign a death waiver because you might die. <laughs> <laughs> and then they tell you all the things, all the do's and the don'ts, and they tell you, especially if your raft flips and you find yourself outside the raft, here are the things that you need to do. And you need to listen real closely so you hear what they're saying because what they're telling you to do will ultimately save your life. And so we go through all of this, and we start river rafting, and I'm already having panic attacks. <laughs> we get in the middle of these major rapids. This was not an easy just float down the river thing. This was some major rapids. And we get in the middle of these rapids, and sure enough, our raft flips upside down. And one of the things they tell you is when your raft flips upside down, we're going to throw you a rope. And when we throw you the rope, you've got to find that rope, and you've got to hang on because that's going to be your security. That's what's going to save you. We will pull you to safety. So find that rope and hang on. And so sure enough, our, rope, our, our raft flipped. They threw in the rope. Ronnie, Jordan, uh, and I, we grabbed hold of the rope, and we're hanging on to dear life. In fact, we're wrapping it around our hand, you know, but right in the middle of the rapid. And they're pulling, and they're pulling, and they're pulling, and we're in the middle of the rapid, and the water is coming down over us, and they're pulling, and they're pulling. We're not getting anywhere. And pretty soon, it was too much. They just threw in the rope. Can you imagine the fear in my eyes? <laughs> my boys were okay. I was freaking out because that was my hope. I felt so hopeless. I honestly thought I was going to die. <laughs> I didn't, thank God. <laughs> but some of you think that your storm is too strong, that God has thrown in the rope, that he's saying, nah, it's too much. What you're going through is too much. You're too far gone. You're on your own. And I want to say, who told you that? It certainly wasn't God. He has not given up on you. In fact, he traded places with you. That's what a Savior does. He saves you. He rescues you. He trades places with you so that you can be in peace, and he takes care of the storm. He sent Jesus to trade places with you. We're going to pray here in a moment for two groups of people. The first group of people I'm going to pray with are those of us, I think all of us from time to time have found ourselves that Jesus isn't the central figure of our lives. We've got other things in there. 
I know it because it's what you're focused on. Whatever is that thing is that you're focused on that consumes you, that's the central thing in your life. And I'm going to pray for all of us that we would just release that, allow Jesus to come back into to be the central figure so that we can have peace because God is with you in the middle of the storm no matter what it is. And he's helping you through it. So we're going to pray for those group of people. And then we're going to give a moment here in a moment for people who have never received Jesus as their personal Savior. And I want to say today, why don't you receive the best gift that you can receive today? And that is to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life.